can open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're continuing our series this morning on the church, and particularly the question on uh, authority in the church, basically the question, who's in charge of the church? And we looked two weeks ago at the kingship of Jesus, that the church belongs to Jesus. He is our only Lord, and he rules the church through his word. We looked last week at the question of the congregation, that actually the the gathered church itself possesses a distinct and important authority in the life of the church. And that's what we looked at last week. This week, we're going to look at the question of elders, of leaders in the church, and how Jesus has called um, elders uh, to shepherd the flock of God. So eventually we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5. But first I want you to picture yourself on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. On the beach. It's a couple of weeks after the resurrection of Jesus. And, uh, and you're one of the disciples out in a boat on the sea. And, and Jesus has risen a couple of weeks ago and you've seen him a couple of times. And now you're back in Galilee and you're fishing and you see a figure on the shore. And you wonder who it is. He says something about casting the nets on the other side of the boat, and you bring in a huge catch, and you realize, oh, that's Jesus. You go into the shore, and there's Jesus. And according to uh, the Apostle John in John 21, there on the shore, Jesus ate breakfast with the disciples, bread and fish, to be a fly on the wall. For that conversation. Much more was said then than is recorded for us in Scripture, but there's one conversation that is recorded that happened on that beach, and that's a conversation between Jesus and Peter, the Apostle Peter. And we followed Peter's story in, in our series through the Gospel of Mark. And you may remember Peter. He's a bold, brash kind of guy, prone to make bold declarations and then not follow through. Right? Jesus, I'll never abandon you. And then three times in one night denies it even knew Jesus. And so here on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus gave Peter an opportunity to be restored. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. There's a lot going on here. We don't have time to get into it all. Notice the three, the three times repetition, though. Three times Peter denied Jesus the night Jesus was betrayed. Three times Jesus gives Peter the opportunity. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you. You know I love you. And with that profession, now maybe more 
more humbled than Peter's earlier bold professions of faith and allegiance to Jesus. Jesus calls Peter into his role. He says, Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus was calling Peter to be a shepherd of Jesus's sheep, not literal sheep. He's talking about the church. Jesus is talking about his people, Christians. He's saying, Peter, I need you to be a shepherd of my people. And that's what Peter does in his office as apostle. We can follow his, his story in bits and pieces in the rest of Scripture, and, and Peter was faithful even to the end um, as, a, as a shepherd of the people of God. But in the passage we're going to look at this morning in 1 Peter 5, Peter passes on this shepherdly call. Peter understands he's not the only shepherd to be called to be a shepherd over the flock of God. No, in 1 Peter 5, verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. Jesus has called more than just Peter to do the work of feeding sheep. The consistent witness of the New Testament is that Jesus has called leaders in the church to shepherd the flock of God. Specifically, we're going to see this morning, Jesus has called elders to shepherd the flock of God. And we're going to flesh out exactly what that looks like. What does a good shepherd do in the life of a local church? Let's read our passage together, and then we'll pray. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that you would be our shepherd, and that you would lead us and you would guide us in the ways that we should go. We pray that you'd open our minds and our hearts to receive your word, both to understand it and then to believe it and to obey it. Pray that you would be at work among us by your Holy Spirit, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus has called elders to shepherd the flock of God. And the central question I want us to ask this morning is, what does a good shepherd do? What does, what does a good elder in the life of the church do, according to Peter here in 1 Peter 5? But first, we need to ask a terminology question. I've used the term elder in our big idea. Jesus has called elders to shepherd the flock of God. And we should, we should ask, where does that term come from? And how should we speak about the various offices in the New Testament. Now we don't have time to do an exhaustive study of every passage in the New Testament and what it teaches about the various offices in the New Testament church. So I'll tell you what I believe from scripture 
and then you can examine the scriptures and see if, these are, if this is so. But the three major offices laid out in the New Testament are apostles, elders, and deacons. Apostles, elders, and deacons. Apostles existed only in the first century. One of the qualifications for an apostle is to have witnessed the resurrected Christ and to have been specifically and explicitly called and authorized by him as an apostle. Um, the apostles all died by the end of the first century. Okay. Um, but still today in the church, we have um, elders and we have deacons. And the basic distinction between these two offices is that elders um, have responsibilities in the, in the area of spiritual authority and that deacons have responsibility in the area of the physical needs of the church. And we see this played out um, in Acts chapter 6, if you want to look at that this week. That's the call of the sort of the original deacons. And deacon literally means servant. And so the office of deacon seems to be, we don't have a lot in the New Testament about deacons, but what we have seems to indicate that deacons are about the work of the physical needs of the church. Um, and then again, elders are about the work of the spiritual work of the church. We have more about elders in the New Testament, and they're referred to by a few different names. Okay, So in, in your Bibles, you may read about bishops or overseers. That's the Greek word episkopeo. Or you may read about elders or presbyters. Uh, that's the word presbutero or presbyteros. And then you may read about pastors. That's the Greek word poimeneos. And in the New Testament, these three words, elder, bishop, um, pastor, these are used interchangeably to refer to the same office of spiritual authority in the church. And you can actually see that at play in 1 Peter 5, in the, in the five verses we've just read. So verse one, I exhort the elders among you, that's the Greek word presbyteros, elder. Verse two, shepherd the flock of God, that's the Greek word it's a verb, poimeneo, but it's a, the same word as the noun form, poimeneos, which means shepherd or pastor, okay? I exhort the elders, pastor, do the work of a pastor that is among you, exercising oversight. And that word is the word episcopeo, which is often translated bishop. It literally means overseer, okay? Epi, over, scopeo, to look, to look over. And so... Um, these three words are used interchangeably in the New Testament, as I understand it, to refer to an office of spiritual oversight. Now, with, with those building blocks in place, we should consider how those categories relate to the officers in our church. Um, now, it's my personal opinion that the officers in our church are confusingly named. Okay? Um, there's the office of pastor, um, according to our church constitution, which is an, an apt name okay, for the office that's described, which is an office of, of um, uh, overseeing the spiritual work of the church. And then we have deacons, and we have three deacons, and constitutionally, the work of, the, of a deacon, and I'll quote word, word for word from the constitution, is to oversee the spiritual work of the church. As, as I understand the office of deacon biblically, that is not a deacon, that is an elder. An elder oversees the spiritual work of the church. And then we have trustees who oversee the physical plant of the church, the finances, and, and I would see that as more in line with the biblical category of deacon. 
Um, so as we're talking about elders this morning, just know as far as I understand it, I'm talking about the pastor of this church, and I'm talking about what we would call the deacons of this church. I'm talking about those who oversee the spiritual work of the church, okay, which is literally the word overseer, episkopos, which is the same with pastor. Okay. So with that all in place, get that out of the way. Here's our big idea. Jesus has called elders to shepherd the flock of God. So what does a good shepherd do? Let's look to our text. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. I love how Peter begins. He, he could just stand on his credentials here and say, I command you as an apostle of Jesus with the full authority of my office. But no, he appeals to elders, to local church leaders, as one of them. He says, I exhort you as a fellow elder. Peter understood the work of the spiritual overseer in the, in the life of a local church, and he, he saw himself as one of them. And he says, I exhort you as a fellow elder, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And first I want to look at these two verbs, shepherd, exercise, oversight. And just in thinking about the richness of these words, we're going to see, first, that good shepherds exercise both care and authority. Good shepherds exercise both care and authority. Just think about the word shepherd and how it's used in Scripture. Um, I mean, first of all, God describes himself as a shepherd. Think about Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And so if, we, if we're thinking about the metaphor of a shepherd in Scripture, that's the first thing that comes to mind. God is our good shepherd. Jesus is our good shepherd. But think about how the Lord is described in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. What does a good shepherd do? He cares for his sheep. He makes sure they have enough to eat in green pastures. He, he leads them beside still waters where they can get a drink without getting swept away in some rushing river. Right? Uh, a good shepherd cares for his sheep. And a good shepherd also exercises authority, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thy rod and thy staff, what does a shepherd do with those? Well, the rod is for hitting wolves, right? Beating away those who would steal and kill and destroy amongst the flock. And the staff, what's that for? What's well, for corralling wayward sheep whoa there back on back on the path don't go down don't go running off that cliff please no 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 um, and a good shepherd exercises both care and authority just practically in terms of taking care of sheep you need both just care without authority is a lot of fat sheep getting eaten by wolves right or, or running off um, just authority without care that's abuse Unless you're starving sheep who are all in line. It's like, that's no good. Neither care nor authority, that's neglect. The shepherd's sitting down in the town and the sheep are out 
somewhere, right? And so if we think about God as our good shepherd, that's the primary metaphor used in scripture. The Lord is our shepherd and he does lead us in green pastures and his rod and his staff, they do comfort us, right? He provides for our needs. He cares for us. Um, but he also gets out his rod and his staff, right? Because we often need correction. <laughs> we often need a little nudge back. Or we've gotten ourselves way down in a pit, right? And he needs to reach down all the way there and drag us out. Um, the Lord is a good shepherd. He exercises both care and authority. And I would argue actually inherent in the word shepherd here is Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, I mean, Peter rather, is, is calling elders to exercise both care and authority, not just one, not just the other, but both, right? And even think, think in terms of the life of the local church. Maybe you've known pastors who are all care and no authority. They do a lot of comfort and grief counseling, but they don't address the wolves who would come in to steal and kill and destroy. They're not standing on right doctrine. Um, they're not caring for sheep who go astray. They just kind of let, let, people, let sheep wander off down the cliff to their own destruction. Right? Maybe you've known pastors that are the opposite. All authority, no care. That's abuse. That's men who care about getting their way and having things done their way and people doing what they want to without an actual, actual care for the soul. something else we want to avoid, right? or neglect, neither. Right? Both care and authority. So I'd, I'd encourage those who serve as elders, functionally in our church, I'm talking to myself, I'm talking to the deacons, we need to watch out to make sure that we're doing both. And I think we all have tendencies, we, we can have tendencies to favor one or the other and to watch out for our weaknesses, that we don't care to the exclusion of exercising authority or vice versa. And then as a congregation, I'd encourage you, like we talked about last week, you have a role in, in calling um, elders and pastors, in recognizing them, and also in keeping them accountable. So keep an eye out when, when some, somewhere down the road we talk about calling another elder, or somewhere down the road and you talk about calling someone to replace me. Examine these men closely. Will they exercise both care and authority? Good shepherds exercise both care and authority. That's all in that word shepherd. I think it's all in that word exercising oversight too. The idea there is more of a workplace metaphor, an overseer, someone who's looking over a job site. They need to exercise both care and authority. They need to care about the work and they, they need to actually tell people how it's, how it's gonna go, right? You've got an overseer at a job um, and he, he, he really thinks things should be nice but he never actually says anything, right? That's care without authority and then vice versa. What does a good shepherd do? Good shepherds exercise both care and authority. Second, Peter's gonna show us here that good shepherds are willing, eager examples. 
willing, eager examples. Verse two again, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So he's got a list of three, three contrasts here where he says, elders should be not like this, but like this. Not like this, but like this. Not like this, but like this. So first he says, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. As in, not doing the job grudgingly. Well, someone's gotta do it. No, willingly, as in Jesus has said, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love me. I love you. Okay, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, as in men who actually love the church and who actually love Jesus um, and who actually want to give their lives in serving the Lord and his church. In a similar vein, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, so all sorts of people who enter the ministry for shameful gain, either for the accumulation of wealth or of pride or of status or whatever or what have you. This is not a, only a 20th, 21st century problem. Um, apparently it's been a problem since the first century. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, as in actually eager for the task, actually eager to serve and to lead the church of God. And then thirdly, verse three, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to your flock. Again here, this is ministry of rod and staff without green pastures. Um, and again, maybe you've known pastors like this who really their ministry is all about control and it's all about getting people to do what they want them to do. That's domineering. That is not how the Lord has called elders and pastors to behave in the church of God. Notice the contrast. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That the primary way in which elders are supposed to lead in the life of the church is not by telling people, this is what you should do, but by living like Jesus. I don't know if you've known people like this, mature Christians, who when you're in their presence, they don't, even, they don't have to say anything. They don't have to tell you to live more like Jesus, but just by just being around them is actually a challenge to you. Like, this person is so joyful in the Lord, so fill in the blank, that I just want to be more like them. I'm sure you've known people like this. That's supposed to be the way in which elders lead in the church. It's the primary way in which elders lead in the church is actually by a, by a Christ-like example. What does a good shepherd do? Good shepherds exercise both care and authority. Good shepherds are willing, eager examples. And finally, good shepherds keep the chief shepherd in view. Peter's very clear that the flock, the church, does not belong to elders or to anyone in the church. Verse two, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God. 
Verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will, like, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Pastors and elders serve only under the rule and the authority of the chief shepherd. And it's to that chief shepherd that leaders in the church will one day give an account. Not to any congregation, not to any church body, but to Christ himself. Peter here leans on the, the, uh, on the side of reward in verse 4. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory that elders should keep in mind. If you are faithful, one day the Lord will commend you for your ministry. But Scripture also speaks in terms of the, the, uh, on the negative side. James 3, verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Similarly, in Hebrews 13, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So according to Scripture, elders in the church will give an account for the souls under their care and how they've cared and shepherded these souls. Elders ought to serve with the chief shepherd in mind with an eye always to Christ, that, that the church is his people, and that to him we will give an account. So I'd encourage you, you who serve in the office of elder, keep your eyes on the good shepherd. Look always to him. Peter's a great example of this, right? That Peter had been told, Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. And you have to imagine that throughout the rest of his life, those words echoed in his mind and in his heart as he labored throughout the decades to serve the Lord. And eventually, as he was going to be strung up, going to be crucified for his faith and for preaching the gospel, church tradition has it that he requested to be crucified upside down because he didn't count himself worthy to be crucified in the same way as his as his great shepherd. Good shepherds, keep the chief shepherd in view. Keep your eyes on the good shepherd. The application here uh, for the congregation on this point is to be kind to your leaders. It's interesting, the connection that uh, the writer of Hebrews makes, he says, notice the, the logic here, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Um, that elders are accountable to God um, for the sake of the, the souls they, they watch over. And so the encouragement here to the congregation from the writer of Hebrews is, let them do this with joy. Don't make it harder for them than it has to be. I'm very thankful for this congregation, which has been very gracious and kind to me. I don't feel as if I've, I've had to do my labor with much groaning so far. Maybe I'm still in the honeymoon phase and you have more in store for me, we'll see.
What does a good shepherd do? Good shepherds exercise both care and authority. Good shepherds are willing, eager examples. And good shepherds keep the chief shepherd in view. Of course, Jesus ultimately is our good shepherd, and he's the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. The, the gospel can, can almost be preached in terms of shepherding categories, that, that we, we sheep who had wandered, we'd gone astray, gotten ourselves into all kinds of trouble. You can look up videos of sheep getting stuck in the wildest places, I, there's some holes and ravines and stuff that they get stuck in. I'm like, I don't even know how they got in there, right? And then there's videos of these shepherds putting their whole weight into just wrenching them out of the, the strangest places. And that's what the Lord has done for us, right? When we had gone astray, when we had run from him, he, the good shepherd, came after us. We didn't walk back of our own volition, right? He pulled us out of whatever whatever deep hole we'd gotten stuck in, brought us back into the flock, give us a good trim, right? And if you've seen those, the, the picture of that, that sheep that had been in the wild for years and just massive amounts of wool that were weighing him down and they shaved it all off and he was like a new sheep. And isn't that what Jesus does for us, right? Cleanses us of, of, of our burden of sin, brings us back into the, into the fold. Jesus is our good shepherd. He loves his sheep. My prayer is that in our congregation we would have good shepherds who care for the sheep in the same way that, that Jesus has cared for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for Jesus, the good shepherd, who, who you sent to come after us when we had gone astray. We thank you for your great love for us, that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that the shepherd actually laid down his life for the sheep. And we thank you, Lord, for the new life that we have in his name. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that we've tasted. We thank you for the fellowship and the joy of adoption, of being a part of your family, of being back in the fold again. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to watch over this flock. And Lord, that you would, that you would empower and equip the, the elders in this congregation to, to serve faithfully, if imperfectly. that you would keep and watch over your sheep. We know the promises of your word that of those in your flock, you will lose not one, but that you will hold on to all that the Father has given you. We hold on to that assurance as we, as we go from here. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.